Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. Okay, Bettys, I have a special treat for you today. This is a conversation that I had with my friend David Nagel on his podcast, The Successful Mind Podcast. And in this episode, we really talked about everything about me um, from the work that I do in terms of helping women to my own personal story and my own upbringing. And to be honest with you, I had a huge vulnerability hangover after this conversation. Um, I looked up citizenship requirements to France and I thought, I am going to just cut my hair short. I'm going to dye it black. I'm going to wear round glasses and I am going to eat crepes with Nutella for the rest of my days, never speaking to anyone again, walking up and down the Champs-Élysées. That's the thinking that I had after this podcast because I didn't let anything... uh, I let everybody in. Um, Things that I had previously really... um, hid or thought weren't in part a part important part of my story. Uh, I would never really talk about them. So this is really the first time that I've talked about it publicly and I thought it would be a really great conversation for you to hear, not only if you are a woman, but also if you are a man and some of the long lasting effects that um, trauma can have and some of the ways that I found my way through and some of the things that I found really helpful to help process my emotions, to help come out the other side. And by no means am I perfect and by no means do I have anything figured out, um, but I feel like I have really done a lot of work on this. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with David Nagel interviewing me on his podcast. And I will have the links uh, for his podcast in the show notes as well. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health. The list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such 
a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family. And over this winter, we have been using Elementi's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk. And my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apreski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. And for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate melody you love the best. Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Hey, Stephanie, thanks for doing this. It's great to have you here. It's an honor to be here. Thanks, David. So what are you up to? What are you, uh, what are you doing since the last time we talked? Well, we actually talked a couple of weeks ago where I was pouring my heart out to you over something, uh, which we can talk about today. But what I am up to is I am currently writing a book on it's on female physiology in terms of how to regulate metabolism and body composition. And it really stems from my 16 years in clinical practice and some of the observations that I've made in terms of the differences between male and female brains, male and female responses to interventions. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's like birthing a child. It's like, <laughs> it is right. A book is, it's something. Yes. Is that, is that a long time coming the book? Have you been like thinking about it for a long time and then you just decided to do it or how did that come about? Yeah. The book and the podcast, which I'll shamelessly plug on yours um, is both things are what I have wanted to be doing for a long time, but because I was not stuck, but stuck in clinical practice, I didn't have the bandwidth to address them. So the book has been kind of bouncing around in my head for a while now. Yeah. How close are you to being done? 
I just finished my second revision of my manuscript and I'm waiting for the editor to tear it apart. And then <laughs> that's always a lot of fun. It's always a lot of fun. You just got to like go into it and say, okay, it doesn't matter. He's here to give you a good book. He's going to rip it apart. And that's, that's his job. Yeah. So I'll probably have a couple more revisions. I know he's going to tell me, get out of your head and stop talking so sciency and, and integrate more story into it. Cause that's, where whenever I hear somebody telling a story, I'm just like, okay, get to the science, get to the bit. Right. So that's how I write. And so I know that he's going to tell me, you know, you got to trim back on all the fancy language and just use some of the experiences that you, that you've either learned or have coached people through. Yeah. Do you currently have a publisher? I am self, I am self publishing -publishing. with uh, scribe. So it's um, Tucker, Tucker Max's uh, company in Austin. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. They're, Awesome. The team is phenomenal. I can't, I can't sing their praises enough. When, when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, whenever, whenever it was, you were, you were explaining something to me, uh, the difference of men and women. We've had conversations about success and how men approach success and women approach success and the difficulties that women have. And I was wondering if we could kind of start there a little bit in the conversation. Um, because I don't think that there's near enough information out there as far as what women struggle with in, with the idea of being successful, with the idea of being authentic mm-hmm. uh, in who they really want to be, knowing themselves. How do they find out who the hell they are to begin with and what they kind of have to deal with, uh, you know, going forward. Plus, you told me some interesting stuff about sex and women and men differences yes. Yes. that I thought was fascinating, which we can get to in a little bit and. If we could dive into that, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I would, I would love to do that. So the the big thing that I have noticed, and this was, this is one of the benefits of being in clinic. So in some ways, I already said clinic, I felt like it was, I felt stuck in it. But you, one of the lovely things about being in clinic for as long as I did, I was in clinical practice and private practice for about 16 years before I decided to close the clinic and, and move into more of an online space. But you get to see different types of patterns. And I first started noticing when I would devise care plans for people. So, you know, we'll pull, you know, maybe someone had a concussion or, you know, neck pain or whatever you can think of why you might visit a chiropractor. There would be my approach with women and men would be very different. So with a guy, I could just say, listen, this is the problem. This is what you need to do to fix it. We're going to reevaluate you. We're going to do a reassessment to see your progress in the next month. And you need to do X, Y, and Z in between now and then. And they would just go and get after it. They would just go and do it. And then a month later, we would retest and we would say, okay, this is how far you've come. This is what you need to do next. Get after it. And they would get after it. Let me, let me just interrupt you for a second. Did they teach you that in school or is this something you learned in your career? This is my own That's what I kind of thought. Okay, that's why I was asking. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, so this is not, when when we were in school, we were taught, you know, all the biomechanics and the physics and the chemistry. and all, We weren't really taught bedside manner. Yeah. Uh, but that's just a skill that you pick up, you know, or you either, I think you either have it or you don't in some cases. But, um, but with women, what I would notice is I would say, okay, this is the problem. This is what we need to do. Uh, I need you to do X, Y, and Z, and we're going to reevaluate you in a month. But she would not be able to reach those benchmarks without, uh, and I say this in the most loving way, with more handholding. Okay. So she needed more encouragement along the way. So she would, I would need to every week or, you know, however often she was coming in, check in on her, 
how are you doing? What's what is your challenge this week? How can we how can we move through it? And when I started diving into why that was, because it wasn't just one patient, it was, you know, 10 patients, then it was a hundred patients, then it was a, th- and a there was and you saw a pattern. A, very much a distinct and clear pattern where we would see men much more independent, able to check off the to-do list. Mm-hmm. Whereas females, my female patients, needed a lot more love and nurturing and encouragement along the way. So when I started diving into the research, and this is the piece that, you know, we can just dive into it now if you want. When we look at the, di- there's there's what we call gender dimorphisms or just differences between the sexes in terms of our anatomy in our brain. So very specifically when I'm talking about motivation and encouragement and nourishment for uh, the neurotransmitters that we're talking about are serotonin and dopamine. So serotonin is the happy hormone. It makes you feel connected. If you think of Thanksgiving, it's, you know, celebration and it's family together and you feel connected and happy. And just to give you a bit of backstory before I get into how men and women are different, the serotonin, you can, you can synthesize your own serotonin from from food. There's a lot of serotonin synthesis in the gut, but in terms of a social, in terms of social, you influence my serotonin. So if you say to me, Stephanie, you're doing such a great job on the podcast. I really love the information that you shared. That's going to increase my serotonin synthesis in my brain. Which makes you feel better. Which makes me feel better. Exactly. And in turn, because my serotonin levels are elevating, now another neurotransmitter called dopamine is going to become activated. So dopamine is the transmit the neurotransmitter that we think of when we think about engaged and passionate and you know checking off the do the to-do list. But the differences in men and women is that I synthesize, I have the capacity of half of yours, David. So to synthesize half the capacity of mine. Yes. So I synthesize half of the amount of serotonin per pound than you do, which means that I need twice as much encouragement in order to match the same level of serotonin uh, levels that are being made in the brain. And that's the difference in terms of behavior. That's why my women, I would need to be like, you're doing a great job. You're, you're almost there. We just need to get over this one hurdle because she would get that positive reinforcement from me or, or things like, I believe in you. We can do this together. We're a team. So that's going to drive her serotonin, which in turn is going to drive her dopamine, which is her motivation to get it done. Okay. So serotonin happy first, yep. dopamine motivation second. That's right. And then if you want to kind of, you know, if you're a super nerd and you want to kind of see what happens after that, dopamine also now uh, turns into adrenaline, which is the go, 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 let's get this thing done. So when we look at men and women separately, we will see that men are much more autonomous. They will much, you know, you can give them a to-do list. They'll kind of go into their little cave, get it done, and then come back to you for the next round. But women need to do it in community. They need to do it uh, in coordination with someone who's providing that um, constant source of external uh, stimulus for the serotonin. And this bleeds into relationships, of course. This is why we have a lot of dis, uh, uh, dissonance in relationships because men and women don't often don't understand that about themselves or their partner. Okay. And when I have 
explained this to a lot of, whether it's female colleagues or friends, you know, one of the things that comes back to me is, oh, I, I understand myself better. It's not that I'm needy. It's not that I'm crazy and a codependent psycho. It's because of my neurobiology. I require my partner to tell me that whatever it is that, that, you know, she wants him to be telling her around, maybe it's how she, how she looks or you right. know how she is doing or how he loves her or how he appreciates her. Um, and women need more of that than the men do. Men need respect. Men need to feel respected. Women need to feel loved. Okay. That's, so that's interesting. So I'm going to come back to the respect for in a second. Yeah. What happens when the woman doesn't get that, whether it's from a man or a partner or wherever, like, well, I mean, so you were her doctor, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. you're doing something that intellectually she understands I need to do this if yes. I'm going to get better, whatever I'm healing or, or working on, or a woman is in her, in her business or, or in work or whatever. What happens when they're not getting that? Well, they disengage. So when we see what I would see clinically is if I would just say, you have to do X, Y, and Z, we'll check back in with you in a month. And then when she would come in for her adjustment, if there wasn't that positive feedback for her, then she would not be as motivated to continue doing the exercises that were prescribed for her or the appointments that were prescribed for her. So she would start, there would be a stepwise attenuation or a stepwise decrease in her participation in the clinic. We would have her in for her reeval a month later and she would say, yeah, you know, like it's, like it's, I haven't done it or haven't, I, you know, some whatever excuse would come up with time or focus or energy or money or what have you. And the same is true in relationships. A woman will disengage. So we often think about women as, uh, you know, areas of our brain in terms of language as being larger. And that's true. We do, we tend to have areas that develop faster, right. uh, especially in, in the realm of language when we compare men and women. But we, at the end of the day, it's a bit of a wash because men just catch up. But what she will do is she tends to disengage. So she will do that in her relationship. She will go numb. She won't talk. And then he, you know, in, when we look at sort of the the dynamic there, he's sort of looking for like, what's wrong? Like, just, just tell me what it is. Like, just tell me what, what the problem is so we can fix it. And she's, she's completely shut down. And that's where you, you tend to get that uh, bristling. You know, with like my mind is going in like several different directions at the same time when you, when you say this, because I'm going from my relationship hat to my business hat to uh, thinking about how different things could literally break down as a result of that. So, mm-hmm. So you're a woman doctor, you have your own business, you have this patient. And because the patient, let's just say, if the patient's not getting the positive feedback from you and you're not aware that this is going on with them, you're sitting there thinking, what's wrong? Why the hell won't she do this? Like, like, doesn't she want to get better? Yeah. So your approach Mm -hmm. as a business owner, trying to help this person do this, creates a problem in in, in your business That's that right. you end up trying to solve mm-hmm. and it's and it's really a communication and understanding issue. That's correct. So if you are a business owner and you have female employees or coworkers, one of the best things that you can do is to understand that you need to continually encourage a, if you are a man or a woman, you need to continually encourage a woman so that she feels motivated, so she feels happy to drive those motivating uh, chemicals in her brain to keep her engaged and motivated and passionate. 
So there could be a breakdown in a relationship, breakdown in a business, breakdown yeah. in her job, friendships, like yes. the whole thing. Yes. How many women don't know this? Oh, gosh. Is it like most? Is I it an obvious mo- most? I would say most women most. don't know this. Every time I've had a chat with a girlfriend and I've talked about this, the answer or the response is, holy crap. I don't know if we can swear here. but You can totally swear. Holy you, shit. You can say any fucking yeah. thing you want. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so holy shit. I feel like you just explained to me the last three failed relationships I had. And you made me understand that it wasn't because I was a needy psycho bitch or whatever. It's because of my neurobiology that I require my, my biology requires and expects that. So, which is why the article, I I wrote an article on medium. um, And I don't know how many thousand, like hundreds of thousands of people that have read it and people are shocked when they read it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating because if you think about like a couple of times now you've said the needy psycho bitch. Yes. Like <laughs> it makes you wonder if that's not where it came from. Right. The, the whole idea yes. of not understanding a human being, a female human being and what that person needs. Right. And you're coming from what you understand about what you need and what you don't need. And you're like, mm-hmm. why can't this person get with the program? Right. And it's literally a chemical issue that's not being fired off in this person's brain. They don't understand it. So, I can't imagine what women must think of themselves when they don't understand why they're not responding in a way that is happy and joyful and engaged right. and why they can't get motivated to do something. And and like, I've been a coach for almost 25 years. So I find what you're telling me very fascinating from the aspect of primarily in my business, although it's changing very rapidly. But when I first started out, it was basically 100% women from the aspect that they were the people that were more open to change Mm -hmm. and doing things, but you would also see a different level of insecurity than with males. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and when when I started, I did not have any idea like what you're telling me now, I had absolutely no idea that that was true. And I remember wondering like, why, why is it a person would have a problem? You would give them the solution and then they would not actually do the work to do it. Now I know right. that there can be many reasons for that, but with most people not understanding that fundamentally there's a biological reason behind it. That is, I mean, that's life-changing. I, I agree. And I think that that's sort of, not sort of, it is part of my bigger mission is to be able to empower women to understand themselves better because there's a lot of shame around that. And even when we talk about, you know, sexual encounters as well, a woman, you know, I always, you know, you always hear this thing where men just want sex and women just want chocolate. I, yeah, right. It's it's horseshit. If a woman feels nurtured, she feels empowered, she feels cared for, she's going to chase sex like the animal that she is. Because if you think about sex, if you think about being intimate with someone, that is when you are the most vulnerable, when you are the most open and you can have the most positive reinforcement from your partner because you are engaging in something that is so sacred and intimate with him. So that is going to drive or her. So that is going to drive up her serotonin levels like crazy. So of course she's going to want to have sex if she's feeling nourished and cared for and safe. So 
yeah, I just wanted to throw that in as well because people, you know, and the article that I'm referring to, the title of it is a bit cheeky. Um, the title is why women need twice as much sex as men. Yeah. And of course it's not, you know, absolute number. It's, it's, re- it's referencing the amount of serotonin synthesis in, um, that in, also could be like your second book. Uh, yeah. Like <laughs> you know, seriously. You know, everybody says that. Yeah. Everyone's like, yeah. you got to write a book on sensuality for women. And that's probably what it's going to be because that is a big area of focus for me now. And we were just talking about this in the pre-chat. And I think that when a woman fully embodies her somatic being, when she fully embodies being a woman, she lets go of the shame. She understands how she works. I like to call it like getting into your hips, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm the biggest guys pay attention yeah, to this. Get pay, into fair, your, very yeah. close attention. <laughs> <laughs> One of, and this has been my journey as well. So what, what we're taught in school is you know, you are very divorced from the patient. You're agnostic. You don't care about the outcome of the patient. You just deliver the news right. and that's, and you get on with it. And that's a very, it's not that it's a, it's not that it's a male thing, but it's more masculine energy to kind of come in and this is what it is. And there's no, just, stoic. just very stoic, yeah. agnostic. And I think that when you can tap into your hips, which in my, this is our womb, right? This is the, this is the sacred space of, cre- I mean, th- it is the ultimate creative energetic source. I mean, that's where we create humans. Yeah. yeah. Even, even, even 10 years ago, like if you would, cause I've heard this for a long time, cause it's kind of the world that I'm in. And there's more and more women that are coming out and talking about this with the kind of expertise that you had. I had Kimonami on here several months ago, and she was basically saying it re- relatively close to yeah. what you're saying about mm-hmm. why women need more sex and how yes. it activates the hormones and the chemicals. She's and, probably talking about vaginal orgasms as well. Did she? Did oh, she get yeah, into that? yeah, vaginal orgasms, uterine orgasms, yeah, uh, anal maybe too. I don't know if you got um, that there, but <laughs> well, we, I'm, she's coming. I don't my remember podcast, if we sorry. did, but, but yes, yeah, she talks about that a lot. But, yeah. but I had had a few people do her program, and she talks about three hour and six, six hour sex sessions. Which is amazing. Yeah. Yes. And how important it actually is to have mm-hmm. lovemaking sessions yes. like that on a yes. regular basis yes. with your partner. Yes. And I remember for everybody that's listening, you guys know BT because he always does inside the episode with me. He he was like, I'm good for about six minutes. He said six <laughs> hours. He's like, what the fuck are you talking but about? A female six hours? orgasm is distinct and separate from a male. Yes. Orgasm. Very. Yeah. I'm, so aware, that prob- I'm aware of. Yeah. Yeah. So she must've talked, she must have been talking about and there's a difference between going over you know like having an orgasm then being like really sore anatomically you can't go near the clitoris anymore right. versus what she's probably referring to which is these long love making sessions where you can approach climax and then come back down and then yeah. approach it and come back down yeah. so it's this beautiful waves you know these and waves the other thing is is the men can do that too oh yes but men are not taught 100%. that it's like get in get out that's yes. you know go to yeah. bed get a snack go make a sandwich yeah yeah <laughs> right? Yeah. That type of thing. Yeah. But let me circle back around. We can come back around to this, but yes. you said something about men need respect. Explain that to me. It comes from, and I'm going to totally say his name wrong. Uh, it's Emerlix, and I'll give you this source. It's called the love respect cycle. So this is when I was learning about the serotonin dopamine dance. Okay. So this was primarily focused on how I could care for my female patients better. But then I came across this book and what, 
it was going through was men need to feel respected. So it's not just that a woman needs to feel safe and nourished and it's all about the woman. Of course, that is, a you know, if you are, if you are a partner with a woman, you want to make her feel those things so we can drive up that serotonin that we were talking about. Of course. But a man needs to feel respected. He needs to feel that the efforts that he's doing, because he can't, he can't, carry a baby to term. He can't breastfeed, but ladies, he wants to help, you know, like give him something to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I say this a bit tongue in cheek and I don't mean it to be derogatory. So if it is, I apologize in advance, but they, they just, it's almost like when you, you know, you give a, you throw a bone to a dog and they go and they get it and they come back and like, what's the next thing I can yeah. do? Like, that's how a, a man wants to serve and help you. Yes. He wants to say, look, look what I can do for you. Here's what I can do. And didn't I do a good job? And don't, and if, if a woman is not taking the time to say, I, I am so thankful and I am so appreciative of all the things that you do and I respect you and show him that respect, whether it's in the bedroom, words of affirmation, physical touch, you know, all these different means and proxies that we can show our, our man affection. He's also going to retreat as well, because if he feels like, God, I'm just like this fucking dog that keeps running after this bone and I never get any like pats on the head or scratches behind the ear. Why am I going to do this anymore? Right. So, it is very important, and this is something that I have brought into my relationship with Giovanni, who I know that you know very well, mm-hmm. around making sure that he feels respected, that he feels like a king, that he feels like the man, because that also helps him physiologically, and it helps him show up in the world in a better way. And I know that whenever there's dis- when whenever that's discordant, whenever we're not, whenever he doesn't feel like that, his performance at work suffers. My performance at work suffers. You know, we're not we're not harmonious that way. Right. Yeah. I yeah, I have I have told men and women for years that men are hardwired to get appreciation for their women. They want to please yes. their spouse. They want to please yes. their partner. So ladies, please like make him feel, please make him feel respected. Yeah. And yeah. and and a complaint that I hear from guys is that women won't let them. Like it's there. It's it's never enough. There's never there's never. Uh, it's never enough that they get any appreciation. It's more about what they didn't do, what they what they haven't done. Yeah, keeping score. You yeah. know, like yeah. slight breaks in trust or whatever. Mm-hmm. However, this is where like my mind was going in a lot of different directions because it's a back and forth transaction in yes. communication yes. and how we treat each other that. Because if you're feeling good, you want to make your partner feel good. And you're generous. You know, the more, you know, if you are feeling as a woman nourished and loved and safe, you're going to be very generous sexually with your words, with your affection. And then that's going to motivate him to be more generous with you. So it's just this beautiful positive. There's, there's a, you know, positive cycle that, that can, that can exist. And there's also, I mean, we've talked about the negative one that can exist as well. Right. Yeah. So. What is what is um, what is a way that that this information can get out to more people where they understand it? Because I'll tell you this: one of the things that I get, like some people are tapped in, they they really want to know, and they're yeah. they're they're on the edge, they're studying, they're working, they're they're looking for answers. But a lot of people come from the aspect of like, oh, that's just too fucking woo woo. Like I, yeah. you know, I can't yeah. believe that, and they think it's almost as if they have this attitude and. The other thing is that people are kind of taught this in a way that somebody else is doing this to them on purpose. Like the way their spouse is responding, they're doing it on purpose. Like they want to hurt them or they just, they want to hold back and punish them Mm -hmm. or whatever. And, 
in my mind, it's a complete lack of education. It's yes. a complete lack of understanding. Whenever I do seminars, I'll, I'll, and we start to talk about how sex affects your money, how sex affects your business, your, you know, and, and those types of relationships. Mm-hmm. I'll ask questions like to the whole room. Um, how many women were not taught by your mothers about your menstrual cycle? And the number of hands that'll go up is Mine, your, your mom same, didn't either, right? Not at all, no. So the, the number of hands is, is astounding. Mm-hmm. Um, how many of your parents taught you about masturbation? Almost no hands no go one. up in, yeah. in that. So the people that are supposed to be the ones that keep us safe and are guiding us to teach us to be healthy adults. It's like when it comes to the human anatomy and sexuality, they run the other fucking direction. Right. They're not going to say anything. You got to right. find it out all You all find on it your from own. your peers. You find out from your peers. Yeah. And they don't know anything either. So. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the idea of being compassionate for your partner, starting from a place of compassion and understanding that there's a, there's a wide spectrum of trauma that we've all endured growing up, whether it is in the physical sexual realm where we've been abused and, mal- and there's been maltreatment or it could have been just emotionally distant parents where you didn't learn about your sexuality or that wasn't encouraged or it wasn't a conversation that you had either privately or or in a familial sense. Yeah. And taking and you said this to me a couple of weeks ago so I'm going to I'm going to take it cuz it was so good. Taking 100% responsibility for where you are in your life and that doesn't mean letting people off the hook. So if you've been abused and there's been maltreatment, that doesn't mean saying, "Well, you know, I deserved it." That you know, right. you're, you're that's not the it's story. Not about blame. It's not about blame. It's about saying, "Okay, I'm here because of all of my experiences, good and bad, light and dark." And now it is my responsibility to parent myself, to reparent myself in the way that I needed to be parented as a child. And that is going to allow for not only more compassion for yourself when you don't act in the way that you want, but it is also, if we're talking about this in a romantic sense, or it could be in a business sense, you have more compassion for the person across the desk from you or yes. across across from you because you can say, okay, I see how she's being triggered or I see how he's being triggered right now. This comes from this familial pattern that existed in his or her family and holding space for her or him to be able to come into awareness that now they're operating on a pattern. Now they're unconscious or they're asleep and they are now just running a program that's been Im- implanted in them. How the hell did you learn all this? <laughs> I this is one of the things that I find fascinating. Like, what was your? Is it okay to talk about your journey? What yeah, was your journey into yeah. becoming this aware? Because I know you, you didn't learn this from your parents. I know you just no, said your parents did didn't. Not learn your mom this didn't from teach you much anything really no, by yourself. No. So, what was your journey into that? Well, I think that's really where it started. Is it's from growing up in a family that was, and I don't talk about this often, but I'm happy to share it with you because I, I trust you and, um, and I love your work, but grew up in a relatively dysfunctional family. So there was a lot of physical abuse, uh, to the point of being bloodied and bruised and, and, and things of that nature, uh, from my father. And, you know, my mother was doing the best she could at the time, but just also very asleep and, uh, very verbally abusive, a lot of, messages around body image that were uh, quite negative and um and was there substance abuse there was not substance abuse to to my knowledge okay. but my 
father, all, I mean, and again, when you sort of start to have compassion for yourself, you start to and forgive people who did bad things to you. You understand that they were doing the best with the tools that they had. So Absolutely. My, so my 100%. father also grew up in a very toxic environment, very distorted familial ties, lots of physical abuse. So that's generational. It's generational. And he thought, I mean, his belief was children should be seen and not heard. Yeah. So you have someone like me, who's a really big personality and I'm not quiet. You know, his um, solution for that was to quiet me down physically. So that would be, you know, whatever it was, pulling me by my hair upstairs and kicking me in my stomach or around, you know, everywhere uh, to the point where I couldn't move. So that, what I learned from that or what I, what I now believe I have learned from that is I took in that I'm too much for people that I am, I must be a bad person because I'm making my parents do this to me. And my mother would say things that things like I destroyed her body because, you know, being pregnant and she would obsessively work out and all these kinds of things. So I took on that shame and that guilt. So that was my story, you know, for a long time. My parents split up in, um, I was, I was about 16 years old when they split up. And then, you know, I moved into, uh, I, I basically divorced myself from my body. So, I moved into my cortex. I, I just resided in my brain, uh, completely cut myself off from the throat down. Like I would, I remember a couple of times I was in talk therapy um, and I would say to the therapist, I just wish I, I wish my hips were not like, I wish I wasn't as curvy. Cause I also like, I would also be, I was bullied at school and stuff for like big lips, big hips, big this. Big so that. you, so you had a little body dysmorphia going on. hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't like the way that I looked. I didn't like the way that I felt in my skin. So I just fragmented myself. So I was like, well, I don't like my somatic form. So I'm just going to get into my intellectual self and started punching out A's everywhere. Uh, high school, got into uh, chiropractic school. Uh, so I, I went through the Canadian Memorial Chiropractic College, yep. which is the only chiropractic college in Canada. It's also the most, it is one of, aside from one in New Zealand and one in England, these are the top three schools on the planet. So there's thousands upon thousands of applicants and I got in a year early, you know, all, all these different things. So I was just driving my intel, my, my intellectual life was giving me positive feedback. So I was getting the A's I was getting, I was on the Dean's list. I was getting scholarship, all these different things. What can I, can I interrupt? I want to hear the whole story. I think it's fascinating. I'm curious at this moment, why you took the overachiever route and you didn't take the dysfunctional drug abusing, sleeping with everybody, you know, um, kind of, you know, self-destructive route? I don't think everyone, anyone's ever asked me that before. Uh, I definitely have family members who grew up in a very similar situation to me take that route. I would imagine. Well, it's one of the, it's usually one of the two. You don't see anybody go down the middle of the road in an environment like that, right? So it's either self-destructive or overachiever, which can also be self-destructive. But I'm just, I'm just curious, like any idea why? The only thing that I don't have a good answer for you in this in this moment, but I would say the only thing that's coming to me is that I I um, 
I could see that I could use that as a way to get out of the situation. That's what I kind of thought. So being able to use my intelligence to navigate through school so that I could get a higher education so that I could make my own money and be supportive so I didn't have to depend on anybody. Well, both, when you think about it, both are a way out. Right. One is a little more conscious than the other, but right. they're both, it's, it's, um, we're escaping, right? right. So, right. cool. Yeah. Okay, go so, ahead. Yeah, I mean, um, so Jess was head down studying like a maniac. Um, and then at, at a point in chiropractic school, I, my, my body was trying to uh, reconnect with me. So I became, it was going through any professional school, whether it's medical school or, or uh, nursing or chiropractic, it's a very intense program. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they've changed the protocol since I've gone through it, but I remember at midterms, you know, it was four, it was two weeks of midterms and there was an exam every single day. So I had biology on Monday and then I had physiology on Tuesday and biochemistry on Thursday and whatever it was for two weeks. So I would get through that on a whole whack of caffeine, uh, not sleep for two weeks and, and then get sick for like a month after that. But at about third, maybe third year, um, I was in a long distance relationship at the time. So my, uh, my boyfriend was living in England. And so I felt, you know, distance from him. I also felt like I didn't actually fit in, in the chiropractic school. Uh, I was going to, um, again, and I'm not, I'm not, not, I'm not knocking my profession. I love, and I'm so proud of my profession, but the particular, I didn't fit in. I, and I never really fit in because I'm, my, my ethnicity is, um, I mean, I'm Canadian, uh, born in Canada, but father is Portuguese, Mother is Lebanese, never learned either language because I was told I'm neither of those things. And then you go to a professional school like chiropractic school and it's predominantly white, like super white. Like I'm, I'm not white to them. I'm, yeah. I'm either the hired help. I look like the hired help that they have or, um, or Asians like they're, you know, my, you know, the, the, uh, you know, from Asian, they're Asian. So I, I didn't really fit in anywhere. So I would do group projects alone. I would do, I was complete. I didn't have fr like, I had some friends, you know, but they were very superficial. The, the, the not being either or though that came from your family. Yes. I was told that specifically. Like, gotcha. so my father, I, I said, I want to learn Portuguese. Like I want to, I want to be able to talk to Vovol and like my grandparents. And he's like, you're not really Portuguese. Like you're not hundred percent Portuguese. So we're not sending you to Saturday school or whatever. And then my mother, because of the climate, I mean, we, we grew up in, in Montreal. So there's, um, I love Montreal, by the oh, way. I love Montreal. I do. Um, but because people, assume that if you are Lebanese uh, or you are Middle Eastern, that you are Muslim. She wanted to distance herself from that. So she's an Orthodox Christian, okay. which is the minority now in Lebanon. It used to be the majority, but um, so she wanted to, she herself wanted to distance herself from that ethnicity, even though she spoke it with her grandmother and my great aunts and my grandmother, my grandmother, I remember they would sit around the table and I would sit and like listen to them and stuff. But so I never learned either language, uh, of course, learned the food because, you know, I love food, but uh, <laughs> not not the So I never really felt like even in my own home that I ever had a tribe or a place that I belonged. Yeah. 
And then, yeah, in chiropractic school, there was no one that really looked like me. Like, you know, there was the blonde, blue-eyed people from Northern Ontario or BC or wherever they were coming from. So and do you know at this time you're looking for an identity? Are you aware that, that you, you don't I really always, have anything to identify with? Yeah. You know, I would say that I've, I've always felt like I never felt like I fit in. Like I remember, yeah. and this is going to be really silly, but I'll share it with you anyway. Um, I remember when sex in the city came out. Do you yeah. remember that series? Yeah, I sure do. I remember watching I binged watch like I had all the you know it's not it wasn't on Netflix so it was on like I would buy all the CDs like every time the season would come out and I would just binge watch all of them and I remember thinking god I just want friends like that like I just would love to have someone who I can go and shoot the shit with yeah and meet on a re- semi regular basis and actually just become or allow myself to be unhinged with them rather than always wearing this sympathetic mask. Like, how are you? I'm great. How are you? you yeah. Know? Right. So, um, yeah. Where were we? Oh, third year, third year of chiropractic school. Um, I got severely, severely depressed. Like I couldn't, you know, it was, it was creeping up. I was missing my boyfriend at the time. I felt really isolated at school. I felt like no one really understood me. People would make fun of my the way that I would dress. Or I remember dissecting um, a cadaver because that's, that's what you do. Yeah. And um, and I remember the the woman uh, who we had. She before we were. This is like this may be a little bit too. It, there's nothing too much. Uh, okay. Just go ahead. Okay, so we it's were great. we were dissecting her face, and she had like she was an older lady, maybe seventy, and she had some hair like on her upper lip. Yeah, and I remember the team that I was like the dissecting team that I was on. They were like, oh, she must be Portuguese or Lebanese, like or no, no, sorry, no, uh, not Lebanese. She must be Portuguese or Italian. And I was like, guys, <laughs> fuck it, what the fuck. You know, so there was always these stupid little comments. I had one guy in school say something along the lines of like, you know, you're like the youngest here. Like, who did you, you know, who did you blow or whatever to uh-huh. get in? So all these like little messages, um, I didn't feel like I felt it fit in. And um, yeah, so I fell into like a deep depression and went to talk therapy, uh, started taking medications that, you know, it didn't really make it. I just felt numb. Like it didn't really make a difference for me. And then I guess my journey from that, I mean, I ended up, uh, I had missed so much school. So the depression had become so bad that I had missed so much school that the guidance counselor was like, you're probably going to have to repeat this year because you've missed all these group projects and whatever. And for whatever reason, like my intellectual was like, fuck this. You're not repeating anything. So I did basically the entire third year of chiropractic school in four months. It was like March. And he was like, listen, you've missed like, you haven't been in, in class in September. And you're in therapy at this time. I was in therapy. So you, th- this is about the time you start noticing there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, for me, when I was, when I was that depressed, it was like getting up to take a shower was Herculean for me. Like, yeah. I was in bed most, most of the day, sleeping most of the day. Yeah. So then when did you become conscious of like kind of really taking over your own transformation? Does that come later down the road or did you learn that in therapy? 
No, I didn't find therapy useful for me. And I'm uh, at least the type of therapy that I was in, it was talk therapy. But I think my awakening started to happen when I was investing. It was a personal development course um, with a chiropractor. Uh, He's one of the most important people in my life, even though he may not know it. His name is Dr. Patrick Gentempo. And he uh, now does a lot of films and stuff on supplements and vaccines. And uh, What school did he come from? He went to, I think, Parker or Logan. I don't know what school he went to. He's an, he's American. And I took one of his online courses. Uh, my husband at the time was like, you're wasting money. You shouldn't be doing that. And I started taking the course. And it was around f- like the philosophy of chiropractic, like getting back to what is important as a, as a healthcare provider. And that started really bleeding into... I started reevaluating how I was practicing, how I was showing up for patients, how I was, uh, you know, being agnostic and not taking the time to explain to them, well, this is the reason why it's because of this part of your nervous system and that part of your, you know, so really trying to connect with patients. And then that I started thinking, well, I'm not really connected in my marriage either. Um, and I'm not really connected to my children. I feel like I'm just this Stepford wife that's sort of going through the motions. So this is the boyfriend's gone. Now you're married. That's the same boyfriend. Same boyfriend. You guys got married. Yep. Kids. How many kids? Two. Two kids. Yeah. Okay. And I started investing in more personal development things. I was insanely curious. Like when I was depressed, I didn't care about anything. Like it didn't matter if a million dollars showed up in front of me, I'd be like, eh, whatever. Right. But my curiosity and my... um yeah, my curiosity was really reawoken with that with that course. And so I started reinvesting in other areas of my life. So personal development and finance and um, all these different things. And I went to uh, Ar- the Archangel Academy uh, uh, Summit, I guess, at the time. It was in uh, 2016. And I was speaking to a couple of people and I... I remember thinking before I went back home, like I have to leave my marriage because the men, the way that the men spoke to me was beautiful. Like they spoke to me with respect. They spoke to me with grace and ease. And I was like, wow, this is so nice. It's so nice that there are men. Cause you sort of have this, because you tend, when you're unconscious, you tend to make unconscious decisions. You know, you, you know, I, I, and I, and I, and I have a lot of respect for the father of my children and we co-parent and, and he's a great person, but he's just, he and I are, are not the right fit for each other. Got it. Yeah. Um, but I left that conference saying I have to leave my marriage because that's also, and it was actually with, uh, Dr. Jeff Spencer, another chiropractor who was teaching there at the time. And I was saying to him, you know, my husband doesn't support if I wanted to do all this growth in the clinic, like he doesn't support those things. And what should I do? And he said to me, well, I don't really work with people like you. Like you have to have your shit together in order to work with me. And I was like, yeah, I really. And he didn't say it in like a malicious way. Like if you know Jeff, he has a heart of gold. He's, you know, Uncle Jeff, like I, I love him. But he was to the point enough for me to say, you know what? Yeah, I don't have my shit together. I'm living this facade. Like, yes, I love my children. They're my everything. And I have love for this man, but this is not the right fit. And so I, from there, decided to uh, 
leave uh, my marriage and it's just been a continuous, you know, spiral of awakening for me. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. It's, you know, it's really interesting. Um, I don't know if you know this, but when I went to my very first seminar, it was 1993. It was a Tony Robbins event. Mm. And I did, I had bought his personal power tapes when they were on TV here in the States. And I think I listened to him for, I don't know, it was probably close to a year, maybe, maybe eight months. And well, first of all, that so that's a whole story in itself, the night that I bought those tapes, because it took me three nights of seeing his infomercial to actually get up the courage mm. to spend the 164 bucks to buy the yeah. tapes. Yeah, 1993, that's that's money. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, yeah. And, and the thing was, was that it was like, I could put it on a credit card. It wasn't that big a deal, but like I'm literally sweating yeah. over this decision. Like, what if I make a mistake? It, it was that, it was- Isn't it funny how like you attune to these, like the things you resist the most yes. are often the things you actually need to lean into the most. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, he has got this seminar coming up and it was, I remember it was in, uh, I believe it was in February and it was in Columbus, Ohio. Mm. It was $3,600 to go. And I didn't have $3,600. And I remember saying to my wife at the time, I'm like, man, I would love to go to this. And she's like, we'll go. She's like, but we don't have 3,600. She's like, if you come up with 3,600, I don't have a problem with you going. Mm. So I'm standing with a cup of coffee. I'm looking out my kitchen window and I had just accomplished like my first conscious goal in my life was I had bought a boat, a fishing boat that I wanted since I was a kid mm-hmm. and I paid it off and I'm looking at the boat and it go, and I'm like, there's my, that's there's my ticket. The there's the six, there's the 3,600. Yeah. And I'm like, there's, then there's that voice in your head of like, you've wanted this boat since you were a kid with the fuck's the matter with you. You can't sell that boat. Like you're mm-hmm. crazy. You just mm-hmm. bought this thing. Mm-hmm. And I sold the boat. And I went to the event and the first day that I was in the event, you know, Tony's all like rah, rah, you yeah. know, there's like tons of beautiful people there. I felt so out of place. Like I'm yes. in the wrong place, but I had the same experience you did. Everybody was positive. And I was like, I have never seen this many positive people yes. in the same place yes. at one time. Yes. And I was literally went up to my hotel room and just cried. Oh my God. Because I did the same thing. Yes. I didn't know. Yeah. I had no idea. Like I didn't know. I was at the place in my life where I thought, am I crazy? Like, am I the only one that feels this way on the inside? Because everybody that I knew and grew up with basically was complaining about how terrible their life was. Right. You know? And I couldn't find anybody that matched how I felt. So I would never even say to, I would never even tell anybody. I was actually, my self-esteem was so low at the time. I would just go along with what everybody else was thinking. Um, so I didn't have the courage to say, 
I think that's bullshit. You know, I don't, you know, you're being negative. I didn't, I didn't have, like, I couldn't, I couldn't speak up. It's also what, when that's your normal, like it's, we also want to be careful. What's common becomes normal. Yes. Right. So Very if that's much common to you. You're like, Oh, this must be whatever. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which was interesting because I just did, a. Uh, I don't know if you saw the movie Harriet about Harriet Tubman and mm-hmm. the, the, um, uh, she, I mean, she was the woman that like freed the most slaves, you know, and she yeah. ran the, uh, she was part of the underground railroad and everything. It's a fantastic movie. If you guys get a chance to see it, it's unbelievable. And I did a whole podcast on that movie and I was talking about racism on the movie. And I said, you know, I was raised in a very racist environment in Chicago when yes. I was a kid, mm-hmm. but it was also, so this is in the early seventies and it's at the same time that like Sesame Street's coming out, the electric company, all the PBS stuff, which was talking about very radical things on television that were never really talked about. And I was, so I was getting a double message at the same time. So like over here, I'm hearing about all this racist stuff. And over here they have black and white and Asian and everybody's mixing and they're talking about, you know, we're just people and all this stuff. Yeah. I never bought into the racism thing, but my whole life as a kid, all the way through high school, I was around people that were racist. And the thing was, was that in private conversations, like if it was a one-on-one and you're outside of the group, you'd find out, the person really didn't think anything was wrong with somebody who was different. They just said it because everybody else said it. Yes. And I was wondering, like, why the hell do people go along with with this? Because we're not born right. I mean, nobody's born racist. That's that's, that's ridiculous. Right. That's ridiculous. It's mm-hmm. it's learned. But the power to go along with the crowd is so much stronger when you don't have your own self esteem or self worth. You're not grounded in your own world that you just go along with these horrific ideas and because your fear of rejection is, is trumps what's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So you had to break out of that. Mm-hmm. You, so you go to Archangel, mm-hmm. you meet these people, you, you know, I you went to my divorce. hotel room and cried. You did. Yeah. So they had this after party thing at the end. I just was like, I'm not going. I went upstairs and I cried for my life, <laughs> like for where I was. Yeah. Um, and then later that, year i think it was i can't remember if archangel i think it was in january and then i uh we officially separated i think at the end of february yeah how did that go not well not well not well um yeah not well it was a tough it, it was tough because my children's father and i we've been together for so long we were together since I was, I think I was 19 or 20. So all the way through chiropractic school, like he saw the depression, he saw, you know, we had children together. So we had been tethered to each other for so long. So, um, and then he also had his own stories about what it meant to be divorced and the shame that that carries for him. And we both worried about the effect that it would have on our young children at the time they were five and three. So we were trying to navigate that. And so it was, it was. Is there trauma in his past also? I would say that there is, yes. Yeah. And I won't speak for him. No, no. You but, yeah, yeah, I get that. You want to respect his privacy. A hundred percent. But from my understanding and just from my understanding of, you know, what I've seen and stuff, I would say yes. Well, a lot of people come together in that trauma bond. Yes. You know, it's yeah. the commonality that, mm-hmm. that they have. So that that's, that's the reason why I was asking. Yeah. So it was, and, and when you've essentially grown up with someone, you know, it's, it's a, it's not just a, it's not just a breakup. It's like a complete unraveling of your life. So it was, um, 
Yeah, there was nights when I would just wake up shaking. Just the cortisol that was coursing through my body was so profound and I wasn't sleeping and I developed this like crazy eczema on my face and just the all the stress thing, all the extreme stress responses. Um, and we navigated that for a couple of years and like stayed separated, but we were nesting because we wanted the, ch- so nesting uh, for those of you that don't know uh, is we still resided in the same home, but then he would spend two days there and I would go, uh, stay in a condo. Like I would, I picked up a condo and then, and then he would leave for two weeks He or two days and he picked up a condo. So we were just so the children didn't have to move. Right. So we were just moving in and out of the house. So we did that for about a year. And then finally, officially, officially uh, the papers came in in October of 2018. So it was like a long time to unravel, yeah. but, but it needed to be done and, um, uh, needed to be done. And, um, when you yeah. were when you were going through that, at the same time you're practicing. Yes. Right. Yes. So you you must have had an interest in the way people behave based on the things that you've told me, and like you yes. wouldn't learn those things if you did. Yeah. Did that come out of out of your your own life, or was there something that the other than what you've told me so far that caused you to start studying and go down that road? I just wanted to, I think if there's one thing that I can say that I still want and I'm not there yet and I don't know if I'll ever be is I just wanted to get to know myself a little better. I just wanted to understand who I was and what are the, what are the patterns that I had accrued and developed and taken on and had become my armor that weren't actually mine, that weren't actually my crosses to bear. So I started unraveling and started thinking about my father and I started thinking about his upbringing and what the things that he had told me. And I started thinking about my mother and I started thinking about my, my marriage and all the experiences where I never really felt like I fit in. Um, and what that, and what that means. And for me right now, what that means for me is, is and maybe this is, you know, your gift is right beside your wound. Uh, I've heard uh, people say that, but for me, I want to create a safe space for women to unravel and take the mask off and get to know and to sink into their hips, like to get to know who they are and to, I mean, we want to always celebrate intelligence. I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but there's something to be said about intuition. You know, whenever you are able to listen to those little whispers that your body tells you. Right. They're always right. They're always right. And there's no algorithm. There's no logistical formula and, you know, tree diagram or whatever that you can, that you can construct that is going to be more accurate and more precise than the, the intuition that comes from your body. So you can talk about this in the quantum physics realm. You can talk about this, about the resonance of my microbiota aligning yes. with yours. You know, we can talk about it in all, in all different, in all different manners. But at the end of the day, when you divorce yourself from that feminine energy, when you divorce yourself from intuition, from source, from creation, you suffer. And this has kind of been my big thing. Like women are not little men. We can't just put on the suit, never cry, right be agnostic. Like we are emotional creatures and men are too. And I think that those things should be celebrated rather than this very narrowly defined 
definition of what success is. Success is the accolades, it's the degrees, it's the, you know, the status. And like, you know, I've, I've chased those things too, because that's what, that's how I survived. That's how I got through what I did was I used my brain. I used my intelligence to get me out of those situations. But in that now it's time for me to soften a little bit and to be able to intimately connect with myself and with the people around me that matter. And then, you know, the people that I want to help as a whole. Well, I think, you know, the, the, the real thing that most people on the planet are taught is how to survive. Yeah. And that's kind of a generational knowledge based on how our parents and grandparents and great grandparents, you know, both up lineages, husband and wife and their lineage, mm-hmm. uh, what they believed and how to survive. And what you're talking about is how to thrive, how to be a human being. And, you know, it's very interesting. And embody, embody both sides, like all of Absolutely. Yes. Ab- well, yeah. there's no other form of life on the planet that's confused about what it is or what it's supposed to do. But yes. human beings with our extreme intellect, mm. we can't seem to get the fuck out of our own way. Yeah, yeah. And survival is even difficult and, and stressful and worrisome for for people. You don't see a squirrel worry. Like right. squirrel's not there like where the fuck am I going to get my nuts? Jesus Christ. Like I need to go to squirrel therapy and I need a massage today and uh you know yeah, like yeah, yeah. Is it self-care Friday? Yeah. Yes, no, give yeah, me yeah. yeah. <laughs> I need squirrels and Squirrel massage. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't see it. We we unless human beings get involved because human beings can bring trauma on animals and really fuck animals up. Oh, yes. Yes. But but what I think is fascinating is that take a rabbit, right? rabbit's out there doing its little rabbit thing, munching on the clover or whatever. Fox sees it, chases it. Rabbit runs across the field, manages to get away. It doesn't sit in its hutch for two weeks and be like, I got a phobia. Right. I can't go back out and be a rabbit. Yeah, right? shakes it off. Yeah. Yeah. Human beings give meaning mm-hmm. to things that don't mean what human beings give meaning to. So animals don't do that. Yes, we like to ascribe, we like to answer the question why all the time. And sometimes there's no answer to that. You know, why did the Twin Towers come down? We don't, you know, I mean, we have an explanation. But why would somebody do that? We always want to ask why. Whenever there's tragedy, whenever there's a fox that's chasing you, whenever there's, we always want to define why. And sometimes it's just, there's no answer. Well, I don't know that that part I would agree with. I think that there is, but there's a difference between making up an answer so that I can feel secure again and actually understanding the truth behind something. Because most of what we learn in life has no basis in any truth whatsoever. It has a basis in the very unique and complex societies that we've set up globally in order to survive and to live, Right. right? And, and how they're constructed and what are the values and the morals that are, that are created within those communities that allow us to survive. But that does not mean that it's the truth. It means that it's a slice of reality that we've learned to create for ourselves. But you have to bring in both spectrums um, on like all the information about something. I often tell people, God didn't create anything in half, right? right. So when we experience something, we're experiencing a piece of reality and our perception is designed to focus on the piece that resonates with us most, the part that we're taught. Mm. But we're not seeing the whole picture. Right. So we can't make a complete or accurate evaluation in our power to choose without knowing that. We're forced into 
just a little bit of information that the authority figures around us gave us when we were growing up, mm-hmm. which caused, you know, usually causes us to stay in the same problem for the rest of our life and never really change it very much. Well, let me restate what I said then, because I agree with what you're saying in that we ascribe meaning to things based on the schemas that we've been given. Yeah. So the you know, frameworks from our mothers, fathers, teachers, preachers, the community, what have you. And sometimes the meaning that we ascribe is incorrect. We want to ascribe a meaning based on the schema that we know. Yes. And that is not necessarily the right answer. Right. Sometimes that is the complete wrong answer. Or what I think you're referring to is that law of polarity where yeah. we have, you know, there's uh, when, there, and maybe this is, I'm confusing my laws here, but there's always an opposite and equal reaction, right? When we think about the law of, of thermodynamics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, 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 um, People have a very difficult time understanding that there could be anything good, equally as good, mind you, about something that they perceive as wholly bad or evil. Mm-hmm. I don't, first of all, I don't believe that there is an evil force in and of itself in the world. In the By the law of physics, it doesn't make sense. We would cease to exist. Life would infarcate on itself if mm-hmm. that was actually true. Yeah. That can't be true. The only thing that we know that is true is that everything tends to move toward more life. And death doesn't exist in the way that we actually think it because it just regenerates itself. It's, you know. Well, that's another law of thermodynamics. Energy cannot be destroyed. It just is. It It just meant it will change into other versions of it. Right. Yeah. Perpetual law of transmutation of energy. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where are you going with all this? Now that you've been on this journey and you're doing magnificent things, what's the future look like? My utopian future would be that I am able to continue. I, I've started a podcast, so I'm just absolutely loving the downloads that I'm getting. And the, it's amazing, by the way. I was on it. Thank you. Yes, for you me were. Out. Yes, you were. And that was a really well received episode. We had a lot of great feedback from your uh, from your episode. But Thank just you. continuing to connect with people, I have often shut down and disassociated myself from humans for fear of being hurt, but it's just no longer that time to do that anymore. So really just um, leaning in and continuing to connect with people. And my overarching mission, like I've said, is to be a thought leader for female health and wellness uh, in the you know, I love to, right now, my big focus is metabolism and body composition. Like I love to geek out uh, there. Yeah. But I think that there's a proxy or a way to marry that with sensuality as well. So we were saying, I don't know if we said it on the podcast or pre-chat, but like maybe that's the next book. Um, but giving people uh, permission to be themselves and to accept all of themselves, all of you know, their light, their dark, and and to give them the tools and the frameworks to be able to take the flashlight into some of the darker corners of their of their psyche. What um what gives you the most joy in life? What do you feel where do you feel most fulfilled? Where do I feel most fulfilled? I have to just choose one thing. No, you can Okay, so I love when I just got off a, a, a conversation for the podcast with, um, uh, he's a cardiologist. His name is Dr. Ethan Weiss. And we just had the nerdiest talk yeah. on LDLs and cholesterol. So that, 
that feeding off and having a productive conversation with someone, even when they challenge my views. So we were talking about LDL cholesterol and we had a a little point where um, uh, we disagreed on something, but I am so hungry for those types of nerdy conversations because they feed my intellectual life. Yeah. But it also feeds my connection, my love for connection, because I got to connect with someone. And even just you and I sitting here today, we've had, in, in even though the, the details are different, the parallels are, are there in that we went to an event and we were like, wow, everyone's so great here. And it made you, you know, at least in my case, reevaluate where, where I was and what I was doing. So the connection piece for me is the next layer of the onion that I'm allowing to to come off. So that makes me really happy. And then what's next for me is I, I just, I want to get out there and get the word out that you're not crazy. You're not, you're just not a little man right? for a woman. Like we're not just smaller versions of men with more hormones. We're just different and unique and beautiful and to be celebrated in the same way that men are different and unique and beautiful and to be celebrated. But we just have, you know, we just have a different landscape. What is, for the women that are listening, um, and maybe they're in a situation where they feel stuck in some way, like their life's not moving forward, either the way that they thought that it would or the way that they want it to. Mm-hmm. What what are some first steps that they can do? Or even, what are some questions that they could be asking themselves that help them get to better, more intelligent answers so that they can make different choices? I would say for the woman who's listening that's in that particular predicament to just start paying attention to your dreams because the things that we want, the things that we fantasize about, the things that we think about are not just random things. Those are, you know, the calling of your soul, if you will. That's the that's the stuff that's coming up from your hips that's saying, you know what, you want better sex or a different, you know, a different experience than just start listening and becoming attuned to the thoughts, the random thoughts that come into your head. And the other thing I would say is move your body. And I know that that seems a little bit weird, but for a woman, the way that she can sometimes process information, and I'm using air quotes, um, for those of you that are just listening to this on audio is to, is, is to move the energy through her body. And that's how a lot of times how she will process. So we've, one of the things that I've, that I have found incredibly useful is I dance. So I'm not a professional dancer. I just, you know, put on a good tune and I just start moving my hips I start moving my legs. I start, you know, throwing my hands up. I pretend I'm JLo and it really will especially if you're in a negative cycle where you're like, God, I hate everything and my life is this way and my business and my boss or whatever it is. It just allows, that movement just allows you to get out of that limbic system for a moment, get into your frontal lobe because that's actually where movement happens. It happens in the motor cortex. But that processing of energy and women move differently than men too. I mean, you see this in like Shakira and JLo and all these um, dancers where that we have much more of a serpentine uh, S type of movement. That's whereas, very true. Where we don't necessarily see that with men. So allowing for I that. I think men see it with women though. Men will, <laughs> men will observe that. Yes, yes, with women for sure. But we don't see men, you know, uh, moving in that way. At least for the most part, of course, right. I'm generalizing. But um 
So if she can just allow herself to, and just as a little funny nerd fact, when we look at um, the symbol of medicine, right? We have the two snakes that are coming up the side, yeah. right? Like serpentine, like having the, the snake is is symbolic of fertility. It's a very powerful female uh, uh, symbol as well. So just allowing herself to kind of move in that side to side uh, way right. will help her process some of her emotion, whether that's happiness and joy or whether it's anger and rage. Like when I'm upset, I will dance because it allows me to just process the emotion and live the, uh, not live, but uh, allow the the emotion to process in my body. It'll, I allow it to live in my body. And sometimes I stomp around like a toddler, you know, but it just allows the anger to come out. I have, and this is, this is something that I teach that I really, really believe in. I think that for the average individual, when we're being raised, there there comes a moment in time where we start to just naturally begin to express ourselves. And if it makes our parents uncomfortable or it's mm-hmm. out of their value system, it's shut down. That's correct. And then we have this, we learn patterns of behavior and pattern recognition to behave very much on how they thought it was proper so that we would get the correct feedback from them. Mm-hmm. But it completely cuts us off from finding out who we are because if we don't move, if we don't express, we can't know ourselves. Do you agree with that? That is uh, yes, 1000%. Yeah. And I think for at least for me, my the messaging or at least my my internalized messaging, my filtering of the messaging was that I was too much for people. Yeah. Don't dance, don't do these things. Um so for me, it just allows me to get into my body and then my very overactive inner critic just shuts up for a minute and it allows me to process things. So uh, if you are listening and you are not happy with any aspect of your life or multiple aspects, it would be to start moving. It would be to start noticing some of the dreams and the desires that you have. If you can keep a journal where you can just free flow, that's also been very useful for me both meditation and free flow journaling. So I will uh, get up a couple of minutes earlier or actually um, what I find when I find I do my best uh, journaling and my best meditation is immediately after exercise. So sometimes I can't do it because my kids um, wake up overnight and I need a little, a couple extra minutes in the morning to sleep to catch up on that. But if I can get a workout in and I can just spend, you know, 15 minutes after that workout to, journal and or meditate the the you just your body is so open to be able to download those things do you find that the exercise helps quiet your mind too yes yeah oh yeah it is it is it is in many ways a way for me to self-medicate without medication yeah yeah sure yeah moves my body i feel good uh, I feel strong which is one of my core values you know i have sort of five words that i like to live by strong is one of them um, makes me feel strong Makes me feel like a woman. Yeah. How do you deal with now and in, t- in present day today? How do you deal with when the issue of feeling too big uh, comes up for you? What, what, how do you deal with that? Because I'll tell you something. Well, at least for me anyway, I hear a lot of women say that they had that and it was always about being smaller, playing smaller, mm-hmm. don't outshine. Don't outshine the guy. Don't outshine dad. Yeah, you know wherever it came from. But yeah. I was wondering how you deal with that today. Well, to the best of my ability, and by no means am I perfect, but I try to just do what I was going to do anyway. 
So there was, I'll give you a, give you a bit of an example. And this may be not the best example, but it's the one that's coming up. I was interviewing this cardiologist the other day. And as he was talking about a process, it reminded me of uh, a similar mechanism in the body. So he was talking about this um, when we have placking in the arteries and then it, sometimes that, that placking can calcify. And I said, oh, do you, got, do you know why it calcifies? And he said, no. And I said, you know, it's really interesting because I, and then I described this other process in the body where the muscle essentially can turn into bone through injury and through infarct. Really? Yeah, it's called myositis ossificans. And I was like, you know, what's really interesting is that all of the, it's mainly guys, like all patients that I've ever had in the clinic were guys. And they all had a history of CVD. Like there was a cardiovascular disease or bleeding disorder in the family. And before I shared that story, because I had to take the time to describe, well, myositis ossificans is this, and it's the incorrect differentiation of stem cells from the fibroblast to the osteoblast, my, my, my. Um, my brain was like, shut it down. Don't say that. Don't make him look bad because if he doesn't know what myositis ossificans is, then you're going to make him look stupid. And then he's going to get upset at you. And like there was, this whole thing was happening in my head. But I just was like, no, fuck it. I'm going to this reminds me of MO. This reminds me of this process. So I yeah. want to share it with him and, you know, potentially have a bit of a mind meld with him where we can kind of talk about it and why those things are similar. And he, I don't know if he was familiar with it, but he said, wow, that is so interesting. I never considered that before. So I came out of it, like going into it, I was like, oh no, it was almost like my hips took over. Like my hips were like, you were going to fucking talk about myositis ossificans and you're going to fucking tell them about it. I don't think it. I could even and fucking say that word. <laughs> you're going to tell them about it and you're going to, so I did it. And he was so appreciative. He's like, I never considered that before. So I, from a fleeting moment, I got out of my own way and I shared something with him. Not because, not because I was trying to make him look bad, not yeah. because whatever, but I was, I wanted to share something. It was coming up and I just, I just did it. So sometimes it's, it's about just not thinking like the less you think sometimes. And I mean that in a, uh, the less you listen to that, that little voice that's right. saying, don't do it. Don't say it. Don't, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And in, it allowed you to have a completely different experience versus the one that you were giving yourself in your head. I was overjoyed. I was like, <laughs> I shared with him about my thing, about the the pattern that I noticed with this, with this uh, disease process. And I felt like I had contributed something to his understanding. Like yeah. it made me feel really good. I was really happy. I know that's like such a nerdy thing, but it made me really happy. You know, I don't think anything that you've said is nerdy. Okay. I, I really don't. I like, I think you're fascinating. I think you're beautiful. I think you're brilliant. You. You're an amazing woman. You really are. Um, what do you be like, because you went through this with this relationship thing, what do you, because I know that there's a lot of women listening to this mm. and they're going, they, and they're, they're probably not even hearing anything that we're talking about now. They're stuck on, fuck, I know I need to leave the relationship. Right. What do they do? Oh, that is, um, it is a hard question to answer and it is going to be different for every single woman. But if you know, so this was, this was my, this was my process. I can, I can't speak for everybody. I can just share with you what worked for me. Okay. So it's, it's a bit convoluted, but I'll just say that I was never in my relationship, the primary breadwinner. It was always my husband, uh, my ex-husband. 
So what I did was um, I started, and this was a process that had been happening in the background. I had I had mentioned Dr. Dr. Jen Tempo, and he yeah. was helping me revitalize my love for the practice. But I made sure that I was financially independent um, because that's the also the one thing. And maybe this is a separate podcast, but the and I'm not saying that this is my my ex-husband, but for some men, that is how they hold you under their thumb. It is the financial control. You can't survive on your own. Now, if we have children, then how are you going to support, you know, these, these kids? So for me, it was really important for my, and then also, I, I don't think I mentioned this, but my clinic burned down the same month that I did not mention that. Yeah. It it burned down the same month that I left him. (laughs) So um, I had this whole you know, Phoenix from the ashes. Um, Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. So the clinic burned down, but then I had this opportunity to. And you didn't run back. No. That's, I think it's important that we point that out. No. Because a very, um, and I'm sure you know this, but there's a very common thing that happens whenever we're making life-changing decisions is that very often we will manifest a circumstance Mm -hmm. that gets us to think we made the wrong decision and we literally convince or agree with that part of our subconscious mind to go back or give Mm -hmm. up on whatever it is that we're doing. I've never heard anybody say that they've made a huge decision without some kind of an alternate circumstance happening right after they made the decision Mm -hmm. to kind of get their mind to give them the, the perfect excuse or reason not to, do, to go ahead with it or to make them think that they made a wrong decision yeah. and to go back. And I'm not saying that um, that didn't cross my mind. <laughs> you know, I did think about that because I was like, oh my God, my clinic yeah. is, you know, and I, I I completely forgot to mention that. I can't believe that that didn't come to my consciousness while we but were But you talking. didn't go back. You moved forward. No, we. I did continue to move forward, but there were points of weakness where I'm like, what the hell are you doing, Estima? What are you doing? Um, so very, I was very scared. Um, and um, yeah, so for the woman that's listening, I would say, like, make sure you can support yourself. Make sure that you have a hedge, right? So that you have like a financial way to support yourself. And then the, you know, divorces often are so messy and ugly, but I I think that you can also potentially have a really constructive conversation with your partner. And it doesn't have to be this. I mean, for me, it was really long and and prolonged um, for a number of reasons, but it can be somewhat amicable. It can be, it can be amicable if you, if you have compassion for the other person, for the fear that they're, uh, that they're experiencing for the grief, for the anger, for the rage that they're experiencing. Um, so yeah. What would you say to a woman right now? Who's thinking that by leaving the marriage that they're doing something like in a negative way, like doing something bad. Like to their kids. To their, well, to the kids, yeah, that's a good point too. Um, but I often hear like, I feel like I'm doing something bad. I'm taking away his choice. I feel very guilty about leaving yes. him. Yes. What do you, like, what would you say to that? I would say that his happiness is not your responsibility. You know, it's his happiness is his responsibility. Yeah. And your happiness is your responsibility. And, I mean, we all know older couple couples that hate each other, that they stayed together because they thought it was the right thing to do for the kids or it just wasn't culturally sanctioned to be able to leave a marriage once you're in it. And 
and maybe I take a bit of a broader view here, but one of the reasons, I mean, I was, I thought a lot about my children as well and like the effect that the divorce might have on them and potentially have on them. But at the end of my life, I, I, I didn't want to say, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to say, you know what, I, I completely didn't listen to myself. And the, the trajectory of the marriage was already, there were already issues in it that we weren't able to kind of figure out with each other. Right. And those things only, if, if you're not the right fit, if you've tried the therapy, if you've, tr- which we did, we tried therapy, uh, we tried all these things. If it's, if it's not the right fit, throwing more time and energy at it is not going to fix it. It's just like when you have, um, uh, I, I forget the the saying, but it's something like, you know, you can't keep throwing money at a, at a, I, I, I don't remember the saying, but it's like at an unsolvable problem. It's the same thing, like right. money, focus, time, energy. Money, these are all very <clears throat> similar. Yeah. You can't continue to throw time or energy or focus at something that isn't working. And it's okay as a woman to change your mind or even to just simply say, this isn't working for me because you matter. Yeah. You know, as much as you might feel guilt for his heartache and there will be heartache. I mean, there sure. will be sadness and there will be those things, but you can't assume those as your own. You have to do what's right for you. And I right. know that that sounds trite, but it's, 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 it's simple words, but it's very true. You I'm, have to do what's right for yourself. Otherwise, who is going to do what's right, what's right by you? I, I totally agree. And I think one of the things that you said that I think is very profound, and again, it's simple, but it's very profound because I don't think most people really think about this. You said, I didn't want to get to the end of my life <clears throat> and not listen to that voice inside. Yeah, uh, she was talking. Yeah, like my hips were talking to me. You know, uh, my hips are this like second alter ego now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, my my body was talking to me. And sometimes, you know, we talk about this in in the context of disease, where you you know uh, have you know lack of lackluster energy or poor sleep, and then those things morph into bigger problems. Right. If you don't listen to your body, and it's the same in relationships, your body is going to tell you, you, you are like for the woman that's listening, she already knows if she should be in the relationship or not. If you, if, if, if I put a gun to her head and said, you have to tell me if this is the right, you already know. Yeah, I agree with you. You know what the answer is. It's just a matter of having the courage to follow through on it. And courage doesn't have to be this valiant gladiator. Like I was scared shitless. I was scared. It was like, I can't, remember, I can't remember who said it. It was something like fear is wetting your pants. Courage is doing the thing you wanted to do with the wet pants. You know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, something it's like, true. it's something like that, right? Courage is not this, you know, you're in the gladiator armor with the sword and the thing. Like sometimes it's like you're crawling on your knees, you know, because you've been beaten up so badly. Well, there's no reason for courage if you're not going against something you're afraid of. That's if you're not right. trying to move through something, you're, that's, that's our resource to break through something that we're afraid of. And it doesn't, we don't get it until we start moving through the thing that we're afraid of. And if we look at the, and because I'm a word nerd, um, cœur en français and French is heart, right? It's following the heart. It's to be of the heart, not of the, of the cortex, not yeah. of the brain. So, um, yeah, she knows. She knows. That's really great. I think, so many people, I mean, it's almost cliche now to go to the, go to your grave with the music still in you, 
But it's true. I mean, so many people do. And it's interesting because that was the experience that I had also for, um, well, not just for my marriage, but for my business. Like it, it, I couldn't, I could actually accept the idea that I wasn't good enough to do it, but I couldn't accept not trying. I couldn't accept getting like to the end of my life, sitting there at 90, you know, in a rocking chair or whatever, and looking back going, I have no idea if I would have made it or not. I had no idea yeah. if I'd have been successful and had actually done something to contribute to the world because I didn't try. Yeah. And that was, that was more painful to me than the whole situation or the idea of failing or even because another thing that was painful was the thought in my mind of other people seeing me fail, the people that told me that I couldn't do it, that it right. would never work. You know, like there was no way that was going to happen. I was not going to give them that juice, you know, mm -hmm. but, but it was a painful thing to think about people coming back saying, saying, see, David, I told you, yeah. you should have, should never done that. Now you screwed everything up. You know, you fucked up your life. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's something subconsciously terrifying around going for what you really want and thinking or having your subconscious or your inner critic or whatever uh, proxy you want to use, planting the seed. But what if you fail actually doing what you love? Like, isn't it safer yep. to work at the government job, complaining about the government job yep. and not ever going after it? But if you actually just want to start a business or you want to be a mindset coach or you want to do something and then you fall flat on your face... Like, what does that say about you? Like, that can be, I think, much more terrifying for people. Very. Uh, but you... you but know. again, it's not something that you see in nature. Like, nature is not afraid to be great. It's mm -hmm. not afraid to be... It'll grow into the biggest oak tree or the biggest yes. moose or the biggest shark or whale or whatever. We only see these conditions in the human species. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, I think we have... You know, we have our physical DNA, we have a spiritual DNA, and we're never taught to follow the spiritual DNA, which I think speaks to us through desire. You say it speaks to you through your hips. I think mm -hmm. it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, and if we can learn to listen to it and we follow it, the damnedest thing about it is that I don't think, because I had this conflict when I was a kid because I was raised Catholic. So you hear, we come from a loving God, but then I would see everybody was so miserable. So I kind of thought anyone either- anyone who's not Catholic- is going, you know. Oh, well, there's that yeah, too. You're, yeah. yeah, you're screwed if you're not Catholic. Yeah, so all yeah. you non-Catholics, you <laughs> fuck, just forget it. Um, but the idea was, I thought either we come from a very sadistic God, right? Because who would create all of his, all these loving children to suffer and, you know, all that yeah, crap? Yeah. Or there's something that human beings don't understand. And then I remember learning, I was reading Raymond Hollywell's book, Working with the Law, and in the book, he, he was basically describing the law of polarity. And he was saying that you can't have a need or a desire for something without that thing existing at the same time in the same place in the universe. Mm. And I was like, yes, mm. I get that. That mm. is 100% true. So when you think about your purpose, you would never seriously desire anything you're not capable of becoming. And if people would understand that, because they need something to override that pattern fear that they get. I'll play it safe. Don't, you know, yeah. don't risk too much. You got to have insurance, you know, well, here in the States, you got to have, you know, yeah, yeah. insurance, but um, the, the craziness for why people don't actually move forward when 
that dream that they had when they were a kid or that thing that they think about secretly, I call it like in your secret dreams, yeah. what do you think about that you don't tell anybody? Yeah. You actually have the ability to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to do all that stuff. But you do have the ability to do it or you wouldn't be resonating with it, you know? 100%. Like I don't ever think about being a brain surgeon. I mean, right. it never crosses my mind. Well, maybe I want to be a brain surgeon. All the different things that you could do in the world, all the different possibilities most of us don't think about that, but there's that one or two things that you think, could I really do that? Like, would it be possible, you know, whatever? And then you answer the question in your mind. If we followed that voice, it would do the same thing that it did for me and for you and for Gio. Like it opens up these doors mm -hmm. uh, in front of us that say, okay, just say yes, walk through. Yeah. The next thing is coming and it it's here and, and say yes again and walk through and say yes again and walk through. And at the same time, there's that whole thing about, okay, now you have to let this go because you can't carry whatever this bag of baggage is through that door. So you have to let that go before you can walk through that door. But if you're willing to let it go and say yes and walk through that door, then you can have the world. You can, you know. Have your dreams. Yeah. You can have your dreams. Yeah. 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 What's interesting is once I started listening more to my dreams is there, and I, you can explain this far more eloquently than I, but there was just all these serendipitous things that started happening. It was like things started lining up and you're like, oh, yes, I would love to have one of my heroes, Dr. David Sinclair on the podcast. That would be great. You know, like I cried when like I was so happy. This man, and if he hears this now, he's never gonna, he's gonna think I'm such a geek, but he like discovered the effect of resveratrol and all these things. And then his his um his media person pitched me. I was like, oh my God, yes, 1000 times yes. Like I want this man on my podcast. I've looked up to him forever. And um, yeah, all these things, all these things started happening. And they and they continue to happen, and it's, it's like bizarre, right? How do these things start? How do these things fall in my? I just had um, a, a, a big physician, uh, very well known. His his PR company pitched me, and it would have never happened if I hadn't had the courage to start the podcast, and you know all these all these different things. So yeah, yeah. We just don't know what's coming when we yeah. say yes, and it yeah. it. I remember thinking, there there literally was a time before I made the decision. Um, to do what I do for a living. There was a time where I actually questioned my own sanity. Mm. I was like, mm -hmm. am I, like, I going to wake up one day and find out I'm in a fucking nut ward and that this has been a crazy dream and it's all been in my head? Or is this actually continuing to happen? Because for me, it, went, it, was, one, it was one thing that happened. I was stuck driving a forklift. I had this terrible past and I made one change in my personality and my income tripled and then everything started going right. And yes. I'm like, how the fuck yeah. is this even possible? Yeah. But I did. I literally, there was a time when I literally questioned my own sanity. I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm actually afraid that I'm hallucinating this somewhere in a nut house and mm -hmm. I'm actually sitting there, you know, with one of those damn yeah, straight yeah. jackets yeah, on yeah, yeah. and they're shoving Thorazine into my ass or something. Mm -hmm. Like, because it was so, it seemed so coincidental and how everything just kept opening up. It was, uh, you know, you have to experience it. I mean, you can't even explain it to somebody because it's an experience. Right. It's the spirals of manifestation. They just keep turning. And sometimes when you feel like you're so far away from a goal, 
all you need is a quarter turn of that spiral. And it's like, oh, it's right there. Even though it was, it seemed like it was just so far away. It is because it's closer than you think. Yeah. It it really is. Yeah. Can I just say you're amazing? Thank you. And I'm very, very grateful that you decided to do this and come all the way from Toronto and yes. visit our humble studio oh, here. Oh, I totally, completely received that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank it was, you. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. And please know you're welcome back anytime. Well, I'm going to take you up on it. This is a this is a badass room. I love <laughs> I love it here. So yeah, I will it's come fun. Back. I yeah. really like it. Yeah. We've, we're, we're doing as much as we can with it. So yeah. that's cool. You're doing good things, David. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.